0: Your Steve Jones Show podcast will start shortly. The Steve Jones Show Podcast is sponsored by Brewer's Outlet, your beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury.
1: At least he's a Phillies fan. John, welcome. Great to have you with us.
0: Thanks for having me on, Steve.
1: It's always great to hear you, my friend.
0: Yeah, it's been uh it's been quite the uh few weeks as a Philly sports fan, and that I've mostly been hiding in my basement.
1: Yeah, you know, I understand that completely, and uh you know, and say you're a Philly fan in most sports, you know, and, and a Yankee fan in the other one. Imagine what that person's doing. All right, so, uh, <laughs> I mean, local authorities are wondering. All right, uh, so this is, it's an interesting play as to what we have right now between football and basketball. This is supposed to be the quiet time of the year, it is anything but, uh, uh, so I wanna, I'll want. at least start with basketball. We'll find out in the end what Mike has done with, with this team, but what do you think of the effort that has been put in to craft this roster?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. Um, I kind of thought at first that this would uh, look a lot like Mike's rosters at VCU, right, long, athletic, fast, running up and down the court on offense, being aggressive on defense, and there is – you know, of course, pieces like that. Um, but I think, and after talking to a few people in the program, I'm a I'm little bit less surprised by this, but there seems to be more shooting, more skill offensively than maybe I had anticipated, uh, and an effort to maybe, uh, and I think we had talked about this before, one of the last times I was on uh, to talk about Penn State basketball, uh, but it seems like there's an effort now to, be more modern offensively, you know, not not necessarily just be trying to grind down and win the possession game and, and score in transition. There seems to be an effort to you know, win the uh, the efficiency battle, if you will, right? Scoring from beyond the arc, getting to the rim. Um, and it is a you know, there's still one spot left and, and that, will, that could potentially change things but right now it looks like a relatively good roster I think compared to what I expected. Um, I, I don't know that that means like that they're an NCAA tournament team in year one or anything like that, but I think this is a team that can be competitive, and a lot of that is because, and you mentioned the effort, because they went out and got guys that maybe you wouldn't think Penn State would have a chance with, and turns out they ended up landing them.
1: Yeah, I think what they've done in an interesting way is they've balanced the roster. For example, Kudus Wahab is a veteran that plays center, uh, and then favor Iray comes in from Miami, and he's he's a center that, you know, you know is going to get minutes, but they're balanced by one being a veteran one being a sophomore.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that bringing that youth in was always going to be crucial here, and I think that that's one thing they've done a really good job, getting guys that have multiple years of eligibility. Uh, I raise a really good example of that, someone that could come in and, you know, learn for a year under Wahab and then potentially take over as a starter next year. You know, and then you have the guys that are coming back, Right, like Kanye Clary and Jamil Brown. I think those two are going to be really important this year. Um yeah. in keeping them. And I think Brown, more than anyone, has a really good chance to take a take another step forward. You mentioned the youth, like early on, I think it's gotta be on him and, and Clary to make up that youth on the roster of the main contributors. They're gonna be asked to do more probably than than other young guys on the roster because they've been here, because I think we've seen that they can both play at this level, a little more with, with Clary, of course, last year. Uh, but I've heard good things about Jamil and I think there's a chance that you know, those two end up being major, major pieces more so than almost any other transfer they brought in.
1: Yeah, no, Jameel, as somebody who watched, I don't know how many practices I saw Jameel last year, He, can, Johnny can play. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he, he, he can play. He, he's a good shooter, he has length, and I think he's going to fit in with what they want. Now, they do get a plus out of this because it is, you're allowed to do a foreign trip every four years Micah uh, and the administration had put Penn State into this Bahamas tournament, Uh, and so Mike is going to be the beneficiary of it. Uh, How important do you think is that just to build some camaraderie with the team and for them to get a feel for their players?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that, you know, we might not learn a lot on the outside about what it ends up meaning. It might be something that gets brought up in, you know, maybe next March when when they're talking publicly. But I do think it's going to be crucial, like you mentioned, in in the camaraderie aspect and getting to know each other. And if things do go well this year, I think that will be the pivot point that, you know, everyone on the team, everyone on the roster can kind of point to uh, and say, you know, this trip really – forced us to get to know each other, put us in a position where we got to be around each other so we may as well learn to get along and, and learn to play with each other. And I think when you when you have that kind of trip, because I believe it's six days long, you, you have no say in that, right? You can't just go and hang out with your friends otherwise, right? You're stuck with these guys. These are your people that you know down there. So... Uh, I think this is an excellent opportunity. You know, it's a good chance to uh, for, for Rhodes also to kind of implement his culture. He'll have Ace Baldwin, of course, and, and Nick Kern to drive that. But, like, right. they, they need everyone else to buy in. And so this trip is a good chance to get everybody to buy in. Uh,
1: on the football front, the uh, two night games are in. The whiteout game with Iowa on the 23rd at 8 on CBS. The West Virginia opener 730 on NBC. But then the one at the tail end – It's right there in the contract that NBC has to have a Labor Day Sunday game and a Black Friday primetime game. Well, it's not only going to be Penn State, Michigan State, but the move to Ford Field, what were your thoughts about that?
0: I think this probably benefits Penn State. Uh, I know it was and and has been when Pete Damo initially reported it was a concession that Penn State made. To me, it kind of feels like a concession that Michigan State would have to make, right, because – it's not a home game for them anymore uh there's no like weather advantage or anything like that like it's going to be in a dome uh the dome that i'm very excited to go to by the way i think i think every time one of these gets announced i'm the only person that uh enjoys that it's a night game because i like writing at night and i thrive in those mm-hmm. scenarios. so i think i'm the only beat writer that actually likes when they're not noon kicks uh, but i think this is this is kind of a win for penn state it's i know it's a short week but it's a short week for michigan state too so there's uh, no competitive advantage there for either end unless like you know someone's coming off an injury and you need those 24 hours or whatever uh, but I think at the end of the day this is going to be a closer to even crowd than it would have been had it been in East Lansing uh, the weather's not going to be a factor that should help which should be a really good offense for Penn State and of course a really good defense too uh, and you know at the end of the day like this this feels like more of an advantage for them than, than for Michigan State.
1: And the other element, too, that that happens to be fall break. There are no classes for Penn State that week. So, right. I mean, it's, it, it, that does not hurt the cause uh, in that regard. And obviously the week after, I mean, with the regular season over, they'll have to get back to work uh, in the classroom. But, uh, yeah, I mean, those those are a lot of pluses. You, uh, How much are you inundated either by comments or by people asking you questions about realignment and other schools joining other conferences?
0: Yeah, it's one of those things that always, like the conversation of college football always seems to lead there, right? Like it doesn't feel like a place a conversation starts, but it always feels like we're, like sooner rather than later, it's like the second phase of the conversation, right? Like it's always about realignment and what comes next. Uh, I am fascinated by it, um, especially, you know, we're seeing, uh, we're going to see it really put into motion after this year what that's actually going to look like but yeah I think and for good reason it's it's going to start dominating uh, the conversation because uh, I, I'm of the belief that you know this is it doesn't end here right like USC and UCLA and Oklahoma and Texas and everything like this is this feels like the first major move not the last major move in this phase of realignment where does it end I don't know. I, I don't think anyone really knows right now, especially with what's going on with the Pac-12 and the ACC. But I do think that there is more to come. Uh, I would be surprised if there isn't, just based on, you know, not based on any inside information, more so the, you know, the, the natural cycle of these types of things. So, you know, maybe it's the four super conferences of 64 teams. Maybe it's, you know, two massive conferences of the Big Ten SEC. I have no idea. But I, think, I do think, like, there is more to come down the road.
1: Because right now you feel like the Pac-12's in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
0: yeah. It, it would be yeah. a, like, it, it's one of those things where the more you read about it and the more you hear about it the more you talk to people about it, the more you think that if there's any conference in danger, it's the Pac-12. Uh, now, again, I'm not going to pretend to know that that's the case or yeah. anything like that, but I do think like that is, if, if you read the tea leaves, it seems like that's where it's headed. And, you know, when that ends up happening, that feels like the next major ripple because that's a lot of really good teams you know, maybe a lack of elite teams, although I do think Washington and Oregon are potentially elite programs and have been really, really good recently. Uh, but I do think there is uh, some some branches to shake, if you would, uh, you know, when it comes to shaking those teams loose.
1: Interesting. Uh, see, I go by value. And if each school is going to get $75 million per school, let's just use those round numbers, did Washington and Oregon bring $75 million of value per school into the conference?
0: I don't know. Uh, I, I that's the. It's tough to. I think that's an excellent point, right? Like when, when you look at the the brand, so to speak, of everything, uh, it's just tough to say. With um, unless you get inside those negotiations, right? Like how much does uh, ESPN or CBS or NBC or, or a company like that value those schools? I think they would value them more if they won you know, at the highest, highest level, right? Like, if one of those teams makes the Final Four and, and wins a national title, like Washington's obviously been there, but, like, if they were to win a national title, I think that could change that valuation. Uh, but I think on some level, you're right, right? Like, it's at this point, I think of any of the schools available outside of the SEC and the Big Ten, there aren't a ton. I mean, Notre Dame is the obvious, obvious one. Uh, yeah. But outside of that, like, you'd be hard-pressed to find a school that it's like, yes, this is absolutely worth it. And that's why, you know, Notre Dame is the school that everyone always talks about with the Big Ten.
1: All right. See, I mean, I know it. It's an easy topic to talk about. I mean, it, it really is. Uh, it, and I, when I look at it, it's when I see Texas and Oklahoma still not playing in the SEC. That tells me a lot about what's going on. All right. Yep. In other words, they are still not in. So when people talk about grant of rights. Like, it's some easy thing to get out of, and we'll sue and so forth. Why are they still playing in the Big 12 this year? It's been two years since they announced.
0: Right, and I think that was the the point of contention that everyone had at the beginning, right? Like, it was, oh, yeah, it'll be, you know, it, they say it'll be until year X, but it'll actually be sooner because it always gets worked out. I'm with you. It, it doesn't, right? Like, there's, those things are not easy to get out of, especially when the conference, like the Big 12, was firm, which is why I think the ACC situation is interesting, especially with the you know, uh, reported conversations about, you know, looking into the grant of rights and everything and how they can get out of it, because that's, at the end of the day, how a conference falls apart, right? Like, it's when the grant of rights gets broken, and it's allowed to be broken, then other schools see a way out, and then all of a sudden, the conference doesn't exist anymore. So, yeah, I'm with you. I I think it's not as easy as it sounds, um, and that's why, like, when these things are announced the way they are, right, when it's two years in advance, three years in advance, it makes for some uh, mildly humorous awkwardness, right? Like like Texas and Oklahoma are going to be booed a lot, right, until they end up in the SEC. Same with UCLA and USC, uh, just kind of the nature of the beast at this point. And, uh, I'm kind of surprised on some level that, that they didn't manage to get out sooner, but also I'm not because, like you said, it's, it's just a difficult thing to do.
1: It is difficult, and that's, I mean, you notice that USC and UCLA are not official members until August 2nd. Next year, not not July one, August second, because the of rights runs out August one. They don't want to violate it. Uh, the transfers for football are are all in now. Now there may be somebody else that gets added here. I mean, this is just the nature of the business, uh, the way it goes these days. John, what did you think just on paper of the additions they had? Cephas, Potts, Ford, guys like that.
0: Yeah, I really like the, the first two you mentioned, especially. Uh, I think Pox is going to be important because you kind of just need a third back, right? Like, you need someone that you can trust that will go in. If, you know, Catron uh, Allen or Nick Singleton kind of needs a break, and, and you need a third guy to be able to rotate in to keep him fresh. Um, which, so, so I think, like, I don't know that he's going to be, like, a game breaker or anything like that. Like, I don't think the upside is necessarily there, but I think that solidifies a running back rotation that now should be, you know, top five in the country, if not top one, essentially, right? Like, I I think they they might be the best running back room in the country. Um, Cephas is the one that uh, people will pay attention to, and I think rightfully so, because I think the wide receiver room is going to dictate a lot this year. Um, I think it's going to dictate just how good this offense can be, and I think this offense is going to dictate how good this team can be. Uh, And if Cephas can come in and be a true number one, I think that is a very positive sign. He doesn't seem like the you know, necessarily the explosive athlete of a lot of number one receivers and, and and years past at Penn State, but I do think he's a good, refined route runner uh, who has a you know he's there's a slipperiness to him in the open field. Uh, I think he's a really good wide receiver. I think there's a chance that he's just a really good number two, but I also think there's the upside for him to be a true number one and kind of figuring out how he fits into that offense here in the next couple months until they face West Virginia is going to be crucial, crucial, and even early in the season, uh, seeing how he fits with Drew Aller and how the kind of uh, communication is there and the, if the, those guys are synced up or not. So I, I, I think they did a good job of plugging gaps. I think Cephas is going to be the one that kind of dictates
1: yeah.
0: more than any of what this season can be.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that I'm totally with you on that, John. I think that I thought Amari Evans gave a great account of himself in the spring. Knowing that Cephas is there, now you feel like they have four, and then can they add three others to that? which they have the capability of doing it. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought that was the big one right there. All right. I hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend. No need to hide out from anybody. It's still early <laughs> in the season.
0: Listen, you can say that all you want. I will be panicking about the Phillies until probably like September, like always.
1: Yeah, I work with a guy like, you know, he's some guy gets a hangnail in the Yankees. We got to deal for an hour and a half in the show, and then, the, then we get then we get thirty minutes of real sports. So, so. John, thanks so much, buddy. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it.